Hi there, it's Jake, and welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him. Um, Elizabeth Brennan is about to arrive, and we're gonna sit here and talk with you about Romeo and Juliet at the JMC Academy, and Bell Shakespeare's production of Macbeth. Talk to you with Elizabeth in just a second. Elizabeth Brennan. Hi. Hey, how are you? How am I? Oh, I'm fine. I'm back and happy to be so. Thank you for having me again. Oh my goodness, um, any goddamn time. No one complained, so... No one complained. No, I did get like plenty of feedback about yeah. how things went. A number of people remarking upon how sexual the tone was. Oh yeah, in a, yeah. In a, in a, in a, a, a an appreciative way or in a please never touch upon those subjects again. I'd say somewhere <laughs> between the two things. Like we're imagining that those two remarks are at the end of some sort of binary... Somewhere swimming in the middle. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. It was just, yeah, just a conspicuous quality of our last conversation, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Okay. I think it's growth for the two of us. I think it might be. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got a lot out in that conversation. I think we 100% did. <laughs> I think we are much se- much more sexual people for that episode having happened. Yeah, and I think that's a, yeah, a type of evolution that we were due for, I think. Oh, look, who knows. <laughs> um, how's your last, like, since I last saw you, how have things been going with you? Mm. Mm, mm. Um, how have things been going? Um, look, it's been up and down, as it usually is, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, this last week, just, you know, a little spoiler, I probably won't give it a hugely massive score. <laughs> <laughs> it's had some moments that I'd rather forget. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, pretty, pretty sort of, for the most part, fairly solid. Mm. Okay, great. Yeah. How about you? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, in terms of even, like, trying to think of anything worth bringing up, mm. I'd say one thing that sticks out, it's not even a thing that happened to me, it's a thing that I was told about, like, by a, a friend of mine that is, like, theatrical, so that's why I feel like it's a relevant thing to talk about, but um, he was telling me that, like, a couple of months ago, he, okay, so I'll backtrack further than that, maybe, like, two or so years ago, he worked on this show that was quite terrible, and... Yeah, and everyone kind of like connected to it apart from maybe some of the key creatives were like were kind of like traumatized by how awful the experience was of putting on this piece of theater. Ah, yes. Yes. And then he told me that like like somewhat recently, again a few months ago, all of them except the key creatives got together and did kind of like a group reading of the script together. Oh, yeah, okay. As like a cathartic just experience for all of them. Um, and just told me about like the emotional and psychological benefits of th- that type of ritual for each other. Um, people that have that type of theatrical trauma bond, um, <laughs> kind of like letting some of those demons out in what sounds like a pretty like, cute little night. Yeah, um, oh, that's adorable. Yeah. yeah. And such a specific kind of trauma too that I think, uh, I feel like everybody who has worked in theatre has a few shows like that where it's, it has left a, a mark yeah. of some kind. And it's really, yeah, it's like the circumstances surrounding the show rather than necessarily the, the output. Yeah? What, mm. th- that type is more familiar to you than... I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Although I suppose I have also had those shows where the quality of the show itself has been um, something that has really grated on me. <laughs> quality is the wrong word, but the I guess the yeah what the actual product ended up being has been so... So against what I would have liked, thinking about it causes physical <laughs> pain. 
I'll write like the feeling of like putting something out there with your name on it that you aren't especially proud of. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, okay. I think so. Do you have like a go-to coping tactic for that type of experience? Um, disassociation works. Oh, yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think I've had a really bad one for a while. I think um, I had a show back in sort of 20, 2021, I think, that was kind of just kind of happening alongside that are we actually out of the house or are we back in the house sort of time frame um oh do you have like covid yeah, yeah. sure yeah, um yeah. Yeah, you could have just said that yeah well uh, it was like a clever analogy you were doing like <laughs> is our show out of the house uh, is it in lockdown <laughs> um yeah well it definitely felt that way at the time um mm. yeah that, that was quite tricky interpersonally and creatively mm. um and uh really felt like I that that lasted quite a few months the feeling of disappointment and sort of sadness over that whole situation yeah um yeah but it's all fine now and I think maybe because I got together and I'm continuing to work with the, the group again and and we're kind of yeah working through it together it's oh god it makes it sound so much more serious than it is but like no, no just, yeah no but, but when you're <laughs> it's in it, it feels quite very serious, serious yes. and, and kind of really sapping your energy mm. um but also kind of you know we get so worked up by these things Jake (laughs) we do we do but they have to believe that's some sort of sign that we're doing the right thing I suppose but maybe that's also a toxic mindset Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. how frequently I think that like oh it's only traumatizing because we care and we do it because we care and Mm. if we care we should do it Mm -hmm. but with anything else it's like I just like my hand being on this stove (laughs) just let me keep my hand on this stove (laughs) I feel something get away from me (laughs) the sizzle makes me feel alive Should I talk about my week? Are we oh, sure. <laughs> no, if you've got, yeah, more to say than that. It sounds... Well, I mean, yeah. one thing, and I, I don't know whether this is the correct place to discuss this. Hmm. It might just be uh, a good old complain session. But yeah, I, do it. I did a TV series. I was in a TV series very minimally hmm. last year. So we filmed it, and it's going to come out soonish yeah. on a, a streaming platform. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they're having, the production is having a, like a screening of the first couple of episodes. Yeah. And... <laughs> I somehow have not been invited to this screening whereas everybody else that I worked with on the two days that I worked on this TV series has and they keep being like are you coming and I'm like no I didn't get the email what the telling fuck? me that I could oh and you've checked spam and junk I and everything I did checked it all and then uh, so one of my friends from the show had sent me like the email that they got and was like why don't you just like RSVP to it yes. and don't just assume that it was an oversight <laughs> <laughs> rather than you know, any kind of specific yeah. targeting <laughs> reflection of my work, um, which is certainly how I take it to be. Of, of course. course, yeah. And the leads have said, look, we're not coming. We can't, can't have it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did that and I haven't heard anything back. So it's just not happening for me. I'm not, I'm not able to go to this screening. But surely part of this whole, like, fraudulent RSVP mm. involves you just turning up, right? <laughs> <laughs> but don't I need I probably need a code or a ticket or something a code alright I don't know what? how do they keep the randoms out well, it's, well I'd say you've got now you've got the email that says like the invitation isn't named is it uh I, you had to RSVP and then I guess they would acknowledge that you and a friend were coming along uh huh maybe I should force someone to bring me as their friend is that the one well I'd say that's is? definitely the safety net option for sure <laughs> but if you if you RSVP'd and they've got your name via that means mm. Right? Mm, oh, yeah. I 
could just show up. And yeah, just if you've got the email and you've sent an RSVP. But also, and you're do on I the want, cast Do list? I want to go if they don't want me, Jake? Go, oh, but that is the age question. It gets very toxic <laughs> and concerning. <laughs> I've really been on a spiral with this one. <laughs> oh, fuck. You know, yeah, in the fucking series, yeah. like, I think yeah. that qualifies if you for Claudia Carvin won't have me there. <laughs> do I, I want to go? Ma'am, you're not on the list. Get me, Claudia. Get me, Claudia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or they have to take you out of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They could cut me out. They, I doubt they could. No, I'm sure you're a linchpin. They could never. They could never. <laughs> they probably could. <laughs> if anything, I hold the plot back. <laughs> I was wondering if maybe that's what happened. I kind of completely removed the character. Removed all evidence that I was ever involved in this show. Oh my god. I like that the party planner has to be in like the editing suite with the editor. <laughs> it's like, as they cut right, characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, good choice. Artistically and for the way the party will go. <laughs> <laughs> she was too socially problematic anyway. <laughs> Smooth running. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that. That's something. That is something. <laughs> something that occurred. We're getting you into this party. <laughs> this, but it's a screening. Is it also a party? I think it's a bit of both. Nice. Yeah. 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 No. Um, I just want to go. Yeah. Um, but also maybe, I don't know why. I mean, it was a bit of a rough shoot. Like, I didn't super enjoy myself. Um, but maybe that's also part of it. I want to. I want to recover from the trauma of exactly. that two-day period in yes. that freezing house. Yeah, you need to get, have yeah. a get together, read yeah. the script together, and laugh and cry. Mm. Which mm. is, I imagine, how a screening slash party goes. <laughs> I assume so. <laughs> yeah, for a yeah. screening series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're getting you into this party. Mm, look, sob on Miranda Otto's shoulder. Yes. Is, she, is Miranda also in this? She is. Oh my god. Yeah, this is a star-studded affair. It is star-studded. <laughs> <laughs> it's sensational. <laughs> you have to celebrate with these stars. <laughs> <laughs> I will try. <laughs> I will do it. Um, well, speaking of stars, how many would you rate your last chunk of time uh, out of five? Out of, fi- out of five specifically, I mean, look, I locked myself out of the house that I was cat sitting at, uh, and the gas stove was on at the time. <laughs> um, was it was a flame like two though? Nights ago. It was just like a gas. It was a flame. <laughs> okay, that's bit, okay. Good. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, better than that, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, and really, <laughs> otherwise just... you gas the cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, utterly embarrassed myself in a street in in Brunswick, <laughs> just running from house to house, trying to figure out what to do about it. Um, in a completely heightened panic state. What did you do? Um, well, I tur- Eventually, I realised I could turn off the gas. <laughs> From the outside? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, okay, oh so, of course. Oh, good. Okay, so you wouldn't have thought of that of immediately not. either. No. Good. Jeez, I felt like the biggest dum-dum. Uh, and, um, yeah, eventually called a locksmith um, that had recently worked on the house. The person next door was, like, had, for some reason, had remembered the name of the locksmith that had come to work on their next-door neighbor's house. Like, it was really lucky, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, wow. Um, but just so deeply, deeply embarrassing, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> the extent to which I fell apart really kind of hammered in that it's a good thing that I never went down the paramedic route. To my <laughs> oh, fuck! Briefly considered. Fuck, you're bleeding so much! <laughs> fuck! Okay! Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Okay! What okay. I'm just going to run to this house and see if they... <laughs> like, it was just a, a mess. So, I think based on that event alone, I'm mm. going to give it half a star. Because <laughs> that was truly a low point. God, does that mean that you had to get this stranger's yeah. locks changed? Is that what happened? No, they... So, he... he they, 
<laughs> Larry, if you're listening, Larry the locksmith. <laughs> Thank you so much, Larry. You're amazing. Um, he had he had changed the locks for them, so he had like the I don't know the diagnostics <laughs> from the lock, like the cheat codes he, for getting into yeah, the doors. Okay. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Also, he he spent a while trying to pick it, and he struggled to pick it, so he created a new key essentially. Okay, that's how we got in in the end. Um, so a locksmith can struggle to pick a lock. Yeah. Also a revelation to yeah. me. Uh, it looks so easy in movies. Yeah, but maybe because it was an old, it was really old. It was sort of a, you know, um, kind of 1920s, 1930s house. with a, And they had better locks in the 20s? Maybe. What's happening to this industry? <laughs> <laughs> locks have gone downhill. Yeah. They continue to slide. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he couldn't. He was really struggling to get in. Oh. Um, but we got in in the end. Great. Um, I spoke to the people whose house it was, uh, tearfully on the phone. <laughs> the cat had cooked itself by this point. It's <laughs> all good. Both cats uh, survived. Um, happily. It kind of watched me have my nervous breakdown from the window. <laughs> they were just kind of perched on the window going, what is wrong with her? <laughs> Why did they leave us with her? Um, yeah. So that's pretty low scoring. Yeah. Week. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry all that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. It's very sunny right now. Things will improve and have already begun to. And you? Me? I, oh, I'll give my week, let's go like 14 stars. Because that's how many stars I'll murder to get you into this screen. <laughs> Miranda! Claudia! Claudia. <laughs> this, who, uh, else? who else is in there? Um, I know there's more people. Guy Pierce. Oh my god. Guy Pierce. Right. Oh, and Teresa Palmer. Are you familiar with this actor? Teresa Palmer. I've just realised I've totally given away what the show is by naming <laughs> all these people. <laughs> um, Teresa pa- my mind's going to Teresa May and then to Amanda Palmer. Ooh, Who's Teresa, Teresa Palmer? Teresa Palmer. Um, okay, what would we know Teresa Palmer from? Um, uh, look, she's been a lot of stuff and I feel like I'm really doing her career a disservice here. Right. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> she, she was, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, how are you with Daniel Radcliffe? Where do you sit? I appreciate what he does. I don't tend to indulge in much of it. Okay, he did an Australian film. Yes. The first film since his Harry Potter days. Not December Boys. That was it! Oh, okay. She was in December Boys. Oh, That great. was her first thing, I think. Okay. Um... Yes. Amanda- the History of Witches or the Something of Witches is another show I'm- that she's in. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. She's in that Warm Bodies film. I'm still coming back With now. Nicholas um, Holt? Yes! Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay, um, great. Uh, yes. Blonde okay. actress, uh, very um, uh, friendly. Um, okay. Has a lot of wonderfully, excitingly named children. Oh, great. Good for her. And the children, I hope. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay. Everyone, look up Teresa look up Palmer's Palmer. children. <laughs> Teresa Palmer. What's her name? Teresa Palmer. Teresa Palmer. Teresa Palmer. Yes. Okay, great. That anyway, would be a really good know, name. We'll be murdering her shortly, so... Yeah, of course. <laughs> Rest in peace, Teresa Palmer. <laughs> this is not a threat. I also just think it's a really good name for, like, a talking chicken parmigiana. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now that we've gotten to the bottom of that, let's t- talk about some theatre. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk some theatre. All right. I saw Romeo and Juliet. My God, where were they? They were <laughs> in Port Melbourne, or possibly South Melbourne. I should have known. <laughs> possibly on the border between both. Um, as we know, there is an ongoing feud between South Melbourne and Port Melbourne. Yes. <laughs> which really highlighted <laughs> by the story of the Montagues and the Capulets. Um, yeah, so this was at JMC Academy, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is not an academy I've ever had anything to do with before. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, but you knew it existed? 
Look, probably peripherally on in, on some level. Subconsciously, uh, I knew the JMC Academy I was there. I certainly have seen those letters <laughs> together in that formation before. <laughs> um, yeah, but just, you know, didn't really know uh, what they studied there. Mm. Uh, turns out it's acting <laughs> and performance and probably several other things also. Cool. But let's get down to brass tacks, Jay. Yeah, I love those types let's of tacks. Let's talk Romeo and Juliet. Uh-huh. I went by myself. Yeah. <laughs> only way that I'm going to see theatre now. I've seen so many shows by myself recently. Yeah. And it's always hilarious. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> Why does being alone make it more hilarious? I don't know. But maybe it's just me because I don't have to impress anyone that I know while I'm there. I Is feel like a- my behaviour becomes so much more outlandish. <laughs> In this case, I had a cheesecake on my lap for the entirety of Romeo and Juliet. What are you talking about? What size of cheesecake are we talking chunk, about? Just a little slice. A little chunk of cheesecake. <laughs> triangular cheesecake. <laughs> Where did you get it from? Um, I bought it before I realised I was going to go and see Romeo and Juliet. So I, to, <laughs> I, I was expecting to have it as my dessert. But instead dessert I to what? It, dessert to whatever dinner I was having, uh, going to have that evening. Good. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe we need to just touch upon briefly the cheesecake and then <laughs> move on. <laughs> maybe, but I'm just really intrigued by it. You know, I'm trying to be like a surrogate, you know, mm. listener. <laughs> Ask the questions people will have. Yeah. So you preemptively purchased the cheesecake to have after the dinner yes. you haven't had yet. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and then realised that I was wouldn't have time to have dinner, so I was just going to go straight to Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So I sort of started to have a bit of the cheesecake in lieu of dinner. Ah. And <laughs> During the show. <laughs> just previous to the show. Oh great. In the foyer. Ooh. <laughs> Um, but again, fine, because I didn't know anyone there. Fantastic. No one's going to judge Cheesecake Lady, or at least connect her with who I am, actually. <laughs> no, what would um, they judge you over? You're not doing anything weird. No, God, no. no. Also, very confusing uh, journey upwards, up the building, to where the performance was taking place in a little, little black box. Oh, okay. Um, Is JMC yeah. a real Hogwartsy experience in terms of <laughs> trying to get around? <laughs> well, I, I just found it particularly muddling uh, architecturally. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just me. Um, but I found my way ultimately to the performance space just in time. Mm-hmm. You know. I believe I ran into the director very briefly, or one of the directors. I'm okay. going to say Matthew Cox, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Cox directed it, as did Mark Yates. Mm-hmm. Um, I enter the space and it's Traverse. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Audience on either side along, uh, well, not too long because the space was quite small, but a nice little kind of walkway area in which yeah. to perform. Nice. Which is cool. I do get excited by Traverse. Why? Why do I get excited about Traverse? I enjoy watching the response of the other audience members on the other side of the Traverse situation. Mm-hmm. I know it's not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it just makes it so much more communal. And yeah. uh, I just, I enjoy having a rapport with the other side of the crowd. Oh my God, if you find a soulmate in a Traverse setting, <laughs> yes. heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like there was one guy, we kind of made eye contact a couple of times and I was like, we understand each other. Yes. <laughs> Did you find that? That you were finding that you were responding similar ways to things that were happening? Yeah, 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 yeah which I, was nice. It made me feel part of the whole thing even more than I already was because Jake, I was in the front row, so I, oh, I really felt part of this. <laughs> Particularly during the fight scenes. Because <laughs> you were handed a, like a trebuchet? What no, were you... no, just because I was in like, you know, um, wood-hitting distance. Like I felt like oh, I just got embraced for, um, yeah. Having said that though, I never, you know, like I think I'm just a bit of a nervous person, so I was a bit like, I'm going to get hit! <laughs> but the fight choreography... Or across the board was really strong. Oh, great. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So maybe I'm giving away too much. Let's talk about <laughs> the show. Great. Um, the beginning of the show, I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, Romeo and Juliet is a play that I have done a fair few times, and I used to really dislike, but have certainly come around uh, as I've. The more I've done it, the more I've had exposure to it. Mm. Um, I think it's really quite exciting and and brilliant. Um, what did you not like about it at first? Um, I think that I had it somehow in my head that it was a little bit, um, oh, it's cliche to use the word cliche, but there you go. It's cliche. Yeah? <laughs> like, you know that, that thing that you have when, where you're like, oh, gross, stupid <laughs> love story that ends sadly. Why would I be interested in that? Mm. Like, it's, it's kind of a, 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 the trope of, of tragic teenage love mm-hmm. that I, I think maybe I was trying to distance myself from Okay. In order to be an intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Romeo, Romeo and Juliet is for dumb people. It's like the teen rom-com of Shakespeare. I think so. Or it's like, you know, it's one of the lesser works because you have to study it in high school. Or oh, some right. such thing. Um, oh, it's really, pedestrian. That's that's what I, I, I thought. Or at least it was one of the Shakespeare plays that I had. I just was less interested in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, after having done it. Um, as many times as I have, <laughs> I've really uh, swum around in it and think it's fantastic. Mm. I think some of the writing in Romeo and Juliet is some of the best. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so mm-hmm. nice for like a like a piece of art to win you over. Mm. That's such a different mm. experience. Yeah, well, I, and I also maybe thought it was a little dull. Dull. Uh, I okay. had the idea that it was dull, uh, and then having uh, the more I've been exposed to it, the more it excites me. Right. Oh, cool. <laughs> So, the play starts, Yes. Uh, it begins. The way that we know it starts is because a drink can is thrown from off stage and just lands smack bang in the middle of the stage. Yeah. Um, and we hear a sort of singing, sort of boisterous, almost drunken singing from off stage. And we just stare at the can for a few seconds. Hmm. And in those few seconds, I was like, yeah, <laughs> I am in the show. <laughs> Oh my god, what? Yeah, no, just uh, just the fact that we, we begin Romeo and Juliet with the staring at a can, I loved. Why? <laughs> I loved it as an opening choice. Okay. For me, well, just because it, it was surprising and yeah. bizarre. Huh. And, and kind of uh, just a fun audience moment where we're all kind of like, oh, right. Hmm. Are they doing it with cans? Is, it? <laughs> Is that Romeo? <laughs> How do we respond to this? <laughs> um, yeah, which uh, was just like a sign straight off the bat that I was going to have a good time. Oh, I, right. I took it as such. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I really did. I had a great time with this Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Um, they have a fantastic opening fight scene between the Montagues and the Capulets. Um, you know, characters that are named, but you won't remember them because they never really appear again, for <laughs> the most part. <laughs> Abraham and Balthazar, <laughs> we hardly knew you. <laughs> um, yeah, so they start with this great fight scene, the, the, you know, will you bite your thumb at us, sir? I, I bite my thumb, but I do not bite my thumb at you, sir. Mm. Um, sort of sequence. Yeah. Um, with some fantastic fight choreography, um, with sort of wooden poles. And again, I was frightened for my life, but it was very effective. Um, and I love, I love that it was in traverse as well. It really, like, highlighted the sense of danger from, from the start for me of Romeo and Juliet. Because I think it is a dangerous play and it should be, should feel dangerous. Like physically feel dangerous. Like, well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess dangerous in any sense that you can kind of think. And I think it just mm. highlighted it for me by being so close to the, yeah. the actors. Um, I, felt, I felt their stakes. 
Right, quite cool. intensely. That's so nice um, for that to be like a mirrored thing for you to feel like real world mm. unsafety alongside the <laughs> dramatical one. And that's I know, and I pro- I'm sure I was safe the whole time. Oh, for just sure. Like, just that that sense of, of being in the Roman Coliseum and people like <laughs> <laughs> somehow someone's going to fly in your face. Anyway, anyway, um, yeah. So fantastic fight scene. Mm. Uh, uh, one of the actors spat out a tooth, like a fake tooth. That's fantastic. Uh, yes, <laughs> again, another bold <laughs> choice to begin with, um, which is very exciting. Uh, could, but by this point, could you tell like what time period we were in? We're definitely in modern times. Cool, yes. okay, because of the wooden sticks, you could yes. tell that? You... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of uh, costume-wise, we were definitely existing in a, in a modern space. Okay. I mean, you know, maybe it could have been, could have been 90s, could have been early 2000s. Uh, Romeo was wearing a red Radiohead t-shirt. Oh, grungy. Grungy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're definitely not in the 19, you know, the whatever's yeah. the Victorian era. Is Before Radiohead <laughs> is unlikely. Yeah, cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have the sort of setup of Romeo and Juliet at the start um, where we kind of are told that uh, any more fighting will result in death and the stakes are set beautifully by all the actors on stage. Um, and then the directors made the choice to have the prologue occur after that opening fight scene, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting. I haven't actually seen them do that before. Because okay. um, usually the prologue happens at the start of Romeo and Juliet. Hmm. Uh, and they, yeah, the, the way that they did that was that they had all the entire cast kind of surround the audience um, around the back of the traverse setting. Hmm. And they spoke the prologue uh, together, so they all took a little piece of the prologue. Yeah. And they sort of had Romeo and Juliet come out on stage and just stare at each other Hmm. and we sort of got to observe the two lovers as they were talking about them and referencing their passing and Hmm. and the two actors playing Romeo and Juliet really just got to exist together um in that moment while while we get to kind of hear how their story is going to go and see them kind of absorb each other which is really really nice yeah yeah I really liked that choice that sounds lovely. Could yeah. you gleam the extent to which, like, were they hearing it as people that were being told what was about to happen to them? Or was it the sense that they were, like, the ghosts of the story that they were hearing retold? Like, could you tell... For me, it was a sense of the ghosts of the story right. being being retold. They were kind of, yeah, conjured up by the words of the actors. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, which is nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that, like... Broadly, and I, I don't even know, <laughs> it's always hard for me to talk about direction, I think, because it's so difficult to, to discern when something is direction and when something is sort of, you know, just like, but for me anyway, it's, mm. it's difficult. But I would say that broadly speaking, I think the direction was fantastic. Mm. Um, and what I really like in Shakespeare is when people are clearly invested in making something from every moment. Right. Because I don't think you can really leave anything unexplored. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, every, every thought and every change of thought needs to be clear for, mm. for an audience to follow because, you know, the language itself is not really going to take you there mm-hmm. if you're not used to, used to it. And most of us aren't. Most of us kind of switch off pretty immediately when we encounter a language like this that we're not accustomed to and... I think you really you really need to help the audience in that way. And I think that the direction really did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they really... Um, and the actors themselves were really clearly invested in 
in making sure that the emotions and the thoughts and the experiences that they were portraying were understandable. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms of, yeah, using the text, was it mm. relatively untouched? Like, apart from some scenes being moved, mm. the things they were saying, at least, was there a lot cut out? There was a lot cut out, and yep. there were, and look, as a, as a, so occasionally I veer into the territory of being a bit of a text traditionalist, so I think <laughs> <laughs> there were some changes to the text that did irk me slightly. Changes like additions, or changes just like well, scalpels? sometimes I think, because I think that they were trying to, the changes were made in the service of making it more understandable. Cool. And easier for people to comprehend what was going on. But occasionally, the changes that were made, I think, maybe changed the meaning of what was being said. Okay. <clears throat> um, but even that is kind of interesting, you know? You're sort mm -hmm. of mining the text for something else and, and making something new, mm -hmm. um, which I can't, I can't say that's a bad thing. Like the, but there's, there are a couple of times, like, there's a line, if, if thy bent of love be honourable, thy purpose marriage, mm -hmm. turned into, if thy bent love be honourable, which that, like, does... It, it is more understandable, but it does change the meaning of what's being said. Unless that was just a slight mistake on the part of an actor, which sure, is sure, fine. Sure. We all do that. <clears throat> so if they're changing thy bent of love to thy yeah, bent love. Yeah, thy bent love, which sort of, yeah, imbues the love with a bent quality rather than, huh. you know, the, tr the, the traffic of love, you, the bent of love, the way your love is moving. So that's um, what the, the original line means, yeah. is the, the, the way that your love travels. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. I should have looked this up, but that's certainly been my understanding. Right. Or like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a line um, that did spit his body upon a rapier's point, which is, you know, did stab him, did, mm. <laughs> did like, turn him into a spit roast. <laughs> like, <Right>. Oh, sure. <laughs> did yeah. spit his body. Um, changed into, um, that did spit on his body on a rapier's point, which was like, again, something that people can understand better. Yeah. And, and actually is in keeping with what you know, what he did, but it's like it's changing the meaning of, of what the line originally meant. Right. What an interesting thing to do mm. with the text. Like yeah, to, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That midway between full adaptation of like, yeah, mm. changing all the words entirely and being a stodgy like traditionalist, <laughs> but to like to maintain the, I, I, some like the bricks from it of like, let's keep all the nouns, yeah. but let's reframe it so the imagery is more familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, and like, I just think that's kind of cool. As much as it sort of irritated me occasionally, I also think it's cool that you yeah. can do that. And you should be able to. Like, Shakespeare should be malleable, really. Hmm. Um, making new meanings from something ancient is interesting to me. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there was another thing that they did sometimes where they would add fuck into um, monologues or into moments of great intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, again, for me, I'm like, oh, look, if you can get the sense of fuck by s from the text itself, I think that's that's always really exciting to me personally. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I think that adding something like that in really helped the audience that aren't Shakespeare nerds like myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was really, um, yeah, pretty pretty bold. And I've never seen that done before. So Cool. Yeah, I can't. I actually think that was fairly su successful for the audience, and because it was traversed, I feel like you got a lot of. You really. You could see <laughs> you some could people. See what was happening <laughs> with the audience quite clearly. Um, yeah, and actually, broadly, I think that the these actors really had that audience. Like they really had them, um, and that's such a such a fantastic thing to achieve mm. with Shakespeare. Right. Um, they, they were so invested in the story, and I think that's a real testament to the work of the actors and the director. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, and the edit. Fuck, that's mm. amazing. And as you say, like it, it's, that must have been such a wonderful experience with you as well, with your passion for Shakespeare, mm. um, to get to see in real time, not just like guess from sounds they're making, but to actually have an audience in front of you going through what you get to see them go through. That sounds really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was really into it. <laughs> it was great. God, and too, and not to backtrack to fuck, but it's, <laughs> I think there's something cool too as well. Yeah, me being, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, as well, like caring about the, the, the words and such. Mm. It's cool to add the, almost like the, the angry clunk of adding fucks into this old text, even just for the sake of kind of like signposting the fact that like this isn't Romeo and Juliet, strictly speaking, in terms mm. of like it's mm-hmm. not going to be a museum piece. Yeah. And maybe having that like very obvious blinking light of fucks kind of lets people know that they're not seeing the pure, unabashed Shakespearean text. Yeah. Is maybe something cool as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I did know. I did think it was cool. Mm. Um, yeah. So I guess in terms of, like, specifics, mm. um, Romeo was a pretty cool portrayal, I thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, there was no um, program, but uh, Romeo was played by Michaela Cummins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and really came in with this kind of cool, boisterous, like, um, really kind of show show pony <laughs> energy like that <laughs> and i think um they did some interesting things with gender in this production cool. romeo was uh used they them pronouns mm-hmm. um but i think was probably mask presenting uh, certainly the way that michaela portrayed this character mm. um i would suggest that and they sort of refer to romeo as my son or um you know it was that as well so yeah. that was quite interesting to see um and yeah i guess <clears throat> And maybe because of taking that route, Michaela really imbued Romeo with this kind of like, um, yeah, this kind of boastful mask energy um, <laughs> of a of a boy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, or yeah, which was really fun to see. And like quite a young boy. Yeah, yeah, like a, a young boy really trying to present as as much older and much more able to cope and much more mature and yeah, kind of like making <laughs> making lewd jokes just for the sake of seeing other people's reactions there was yeah it was really fun it was so much energy to it as well cool um and i think that michaela did a really good job when it came to flipping over into um really kind of peeling away those layers of bombacity Mm. and um revealing romeo to just be you know like kind of a scared child really um yeah and michaela had this very difficult task in the being preset during the interval. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I took my cheesecake out, took my cheesecake back in <laughs> the second act. And um, Michaela was there uh, crying, um, grieving for what had happened with Tybalt and Mercutio in the previous act. Mm. Um, and yeah, Michaela really sat there for a long time in the interval, um, just in the moment, really being this scared child Romeo. Um, Doing what? Just sitting on the crying. stage crying? Yeah, yeah, grieving. Oh, um, just like alone with, like, is there anything like, in their hands? What are we... No, no, no just uh, like, because the scene that's about to occur is when the friar comes in and is like, be a man, Romeo! <laughs> Get up and take charge! Right. Um, yeah, which I just thought was um, so exposing for an actor. Yeah, my God. Um, because, you know, we're, we're not quite in the show. Like a preset is, is that weird space where it's like people are kind of still talking to each other and chatting. Mm. But you've also got something to look at. Mm. Um, yeah, so I thought that was very, very bold. Yeah, wow. God. <laughs> and brave. Um, 
Yeah, so that was cool, Romeo. Um, Juliet, as played by Teresa. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce the last name, but I'll give it a go. At John Rosicusa. John Siracusa? John, oh God, I just butchered that. <laughs> I think. I? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, really very uh, lovely grounded and kind of mature energy as mm. Juliet. Um, yeah, which is nice. I think that is that is in the text. I would say Juliet is sort of strangely quite a wise character and I think she really kind of pulled that off beautifully. Um, yeah, in terms of like favourites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we always must have favourites, must we not, Jane? <laughs> Um, let's talk nurse, shall we? Josh Sanders as nurse. Um, yeah, and I personally love to see a male nurse in Mm -hmm. productions of Romeo and Juliet. I've seen it before, once or twice. Why do you love it so much? Um, why do I love it? I think I just love seeing the, um, the, the maternal quality in a, a male presenting person. Cool. Um, and how that differs from when it's, you know, when it's a woman in a middle-aged woman playing the nurse, which is kind of how, obviously, it's, like, written. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, Josh Sanders played the nurse with this <laughs> hilarious energy <laughs> of, like, just rabid horniness. <laughs> like, just an extreme sexual erotic <laughs> surge. But, like, really tamped down <laughs> for the sake of propriety. And... Um, you know, and sort of like, you know, the task, the role of being the nurse, uh-huh. <laughs> having to be this kind of maternal figure, but having this kind of like, there's a great scene where um, he's reading a romance novel. He's kind of like found this little moment <laughs> just by himself to have a little read of the romance novel while no one's looking and just like really getting into it. And I think that he kind of carried that energy through the whole thing. Um, oh. And like just had this wonderful physicality and wonderful like, Kind of scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. Oh yes, <laughs> which we both love. Yes, oh my god, um, yeah, it's one of the best styles of man. Yeah, yes. yeah, which he used to great comedic effect. Oh. Um, but didn't sacrifice the genuine care for Juliet that I think is really necessary in the nurse. All right, because yeah, what was their mm. connection like? What was their relationship? Mm. How did it feel? Yeah, it was a little bit like, um, kind of like an uh, a peer, like a little bit like an. Like a babysitter, almost. You oh, know, cool. You're, you're sort of, like a cool babysitter. Yeah, like a kind of a cool babysitter. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's just like really excited by Juliet's marriage, the impending marriage that's coming, but also like, yeah, no, but it's okay because I'm your nurse and uh, I need to be professional, but also, oh, what a man. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, which I really liked. Um, Lady Capulet, uh, really unusual portrayal of Lady Capulet. I haven't really seen... The, done that way before by yeah. Viv Perry mm. um, uh, who handled the text so beautifully like everything she said was so clear yeah. um, and the intention behind it just impeccable um, and yeah she sort of presented a softer more sympathetic uh, version of Lady Capulet I think she's often I think she's quite a complex character um, but the yeah you really you really got the sense that she was um torn between the great love for her daughter and the complicated dynamic with her husband Hmm. Um, and that she really she really couldn't care less whether Juliet married or not and was essentially going along with what was expected of her um, until she no longer can the real snap that happens Hmm. where she turns on her husband and is like look what you've done look what you've done I went along with you 
up to this point, uh, but no more. I yeah. found that portrayal extremely moving. And Lord Capulet uh, really managed to give her a reason for for that turn, I think, very successfully. You really saw um, the danger that Lord Capulet was and the... the, the he, oh, gosh, sorry, I'll just check what the actor's name was. Uh, Dion? Dion Lorna. No, Dion Zapantis, I think. Dion Zapantis. Um, yeah, he he really had this great gravitas and ability to portray a kind of a, a bubbling anger that mm. isn't isn't quite coming out, but it's sort of just sitting under the surface until all of a sudden it does. Right. Um, yeah, so I thought he did a wonderful job. And that's, is that how you would characterise the danger that Lady Capulet is sort of mm. responding to? Yeah, I think yeah. it definitely was a sort of an undercurrent of, of domestic uh, abuse, or at least um, having to manage uh, being married to someone whose anger is, is, is uh, a difficulty mm. yeah, for him right. to control. So I think their dynamic was was very interesting, hmm. very strong. Love to see a female Mercutio as well. Yeah, yeah? <laughs> um, as played by Georgia Duncan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's also a fantastic choice. How and, come? Uh, I think for me, Mercutio, there is something interesting that gets added in when it is um, a woman portraying it. There's a sense of having been maybe not taken advantage of, but um having been underestimated that kind of allows for the 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 fire that Mercutio has to sort of constantly be proving himself or herself Mm. um I think it's just an interesting way into Mercutio to have to have been you know maybe a a woman trying to compete on a physical level um in terms of being physically intimidating Mm. which I think is quite interesting yeah cool um yeah she was she was great uh, and had a moment, which I think was something that I was thinking about after the show, um, where when something happens, when a mistake happens with a prop or there's a kind of potential for a, some kind of accident to occur because a prop has fallen over or a prop has been dropped or something, um, do you feel the pressure to intervene, to jump in and like grab it quickly before something can happen as an uh, audience member? Depends on the context and the show and where I'm sitting. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, how come what happened to you? Oh, no, no, this I just find that this happens to me a lot. And maybe yeah. it's because I work in theatre that every time something goes wrong, mm. I have to really be like, do I do it? Do I do it or do I not do it? What am I going to do? <laughs> do I risk absolutely making the wrong choice by mm. grabbing something that maybe that was intentional? Yeah. Or, or do I just let them work it out and just hope that nobody... That's the thing. Or do I do nothing and then watch this person die? Yes, yes. Because yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. um, uh, Georgia was wearing quite high shoes and... Um, she dropped the top, or the top of the alcohol bottle that she was drinking from mm. came off. Yeah. Um, and it was just kind of floating around on the ground. And I just wasn't sure if she was aware of it. And I was like, oh, God, someone should get that. I don't want to, oh, what if she falls and hits her head? Oh, my <laughs> God. Um, yeah, talk yeah. about danger. Yeah. Maybe it was deliberate, who knows? God, yeah. <laughs> um, but it seemed like she was aware of it because at the very end of the scene, um, she, with a flourish, mm. kind of bent down and picked it up, 
perfectly in character and s- s- just Ugh. flounced off the stage. Fuck, that's incredible. Um, I feel like that's in many ways like the the, the, the I don't know the, the perfect way to showcase someone's capacity as a performer to deal with that type of nonsense in a professional way. Because yeah. I think so often those sorts of moments everyone in the audience is so intimately aware that it is happening mm. and for yeah for you to fix that problem for everybody is such a moment of like release yeah, and like, I oh, we're in safe hands. such such flair as well oh. I just thought she deserved a special mention for that because <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it can be so panic so much when something like that happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah beautifully handled um, yeah another interesting thing that they did was they really literalised the ghosts so the yeah at the end um, Juliet has this monologue where she's talking about the ghosts of her cousin Tybalt and um, you sort of see the, the, the dead kind of walking through the tomb as Romeo and Juliet are sort of saying their final goodbyes oh my goodness yeah which was interesting because yeah. it sort of made it um, a lot spookier and creepier. And it was all lit <laughs> by torchlight as well, which was oh my God. nice. Well, just this um, scene though, right? Just this scene. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Wait, so Romeo and Juliet are in the tomb where they're going to kill each other. Yeah, and yeah. And the ghosts as well. Are yeah, the ghosts are kind of wandering through. Oh my um, goodness. Which I, I really enjoyed it as, yeah. a, as a choice. And nice to kind of turn it into something that's sort of, you know, beyond just this, the suicide of these two teens. It's mm. kind of like almost... Um, you know, horror element. <laughs> yeah, right. Spooky moment of, of becoming ghosts and having yeah. ghosts surround you as if they're kind of welcoming you into the other realm. I, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like joining your friends. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, to trying to think of like what a teenager thinks death is like. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so Romeo and Juliet. And, and it ended. <laughs> um, and they played Kanye West's Runaway very loudly as everybody came out and had their sort of little moment of bowing. And the bowing, the bows, they they came out from opposite sides and it was they bowed in pairs. So they'd kind of have a little moment between the two actors that they'd either organised or improvised or whatever, where they'd do something with each other um, and then turn to the audience and bow. Yeah. <clears throat> and everyone had that moment um and i just loved it <laughs> so much because <laughs> you you got to see um just the pure joy that these actors experienced in putting this on yeah and i think that that really came across through the whole performance both the sort of stakes of it how important it was to do this show on this night like i and it's hard to to fake that, I think you really got that from these actors. But there were stakes in terms of, in terms of what? How much they cared oh, about right. telling this story, and right. how much they cared about doing this particular production at this particular moment. Oh, um, you could see that, in, like when they came out to bow. Yeah, Fuck. yeah, and I mean, look, they they came off stage, um, well, the actors after they bowed, and immediately you could hear from backstage this kind of like enormous cheering and. Um, Kind of, oh god, I want to say wailing, but that's not really what it was. It was like, it was like, ah! like screaming, like just absolute um, adrenaline and oh. joy that they'd all done that together. Yeah. And made that happen. And I think I, I was so moved by it, Jake. I really wasn't expecting to be. Mm. But um, it kind of just made me remember and, and maybe dwell a little bit on the fact that I think sometimes I, I've lost that in terms of my own practice. Thinking, Lost which thing? Uh, just the, the sort of pleasure of, of it. Like mm. when you're working on something and you're doing it for three months every night, <laughs> it's probably natural that it become a bit, a bit dry and a bit like work. You know? mm. 
Um, but to see it be so important to these these young people who are sort of you know studying and starting their journey in the performing arts, uh, it it just really affected me. And to see how important it was for the audience, because a lot of, like a lot of the audience were people that knew actors or had some familial connection to the actors. Yeah. Um, and the the sense in the room was so so joyous and so proud um, that these actors were doing what they felt was so important to them that it just it just became it just reminded me how uh, transcendent this sort of work can be oh yeah that's incredible yeah I know I wasn't really expecting to have that response to the <laughs> show but I really did so you know thank you everyone from <laughs> JMC <laughs> JMC Academy um, for maybe just reminding me that it is um, yeah, it is a privilege to be doing this, to be performing for others and having um, the the give and take that happens in a theatre and how, yeah, just like allowing that to be what's important rather than maybe necessarily, you know, how good was I? Mm. <laughs> um, you know, did I give it everything? Yeah. Um, it's just really, really lovely. Anyone cried on your podcast before? <laughs> Just me. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> okay, I'll hold in the tears. <laughs> Hi. Hey. It's me again. I'm still oh, here. She's still here. Still talking about Shakespeare. Wow, 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 wow. Heaven. <laughs> um, I saw Macbeth. You saw Macbeth? It was performed by the Bell Shakespeare Company. Uh-huh. Uh, I saw it at the Arts Centre. On the preview performance. Great. Yeah. Do you often talk about previews? Um, oh, we do it as long as like typically we tell the production that that's the performance that we're coming to. Like uh. especially if it's like the only date that we can make. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, like if it just is convenient for whatever reason, and we certainly like flag it with them. Like it's like as long as everyone knows what's happening. Yeah, sure. It's like kind of fine for us because again, it's like acknowledging that it's a preview in itself is kind of like. We saw a preview performance. Yeah. So it's like, that's what we're talking about. We're not yeah. saying every performance will be this way. Yes, true, um, true. I mean, is, yeah, yeah, but I guess every performance. Like, what's the problem with reviewing a performance? Oh, go ahead. It? What's the problem? <laughs> Tell me the problem with reviewing a performance. Oh, God. I mean, we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> Well, then you're just doing the one, you know, and you're never going to, it's never going to be the same as the one you saw. Yeah. So whoever reads the review will be like, why wasn't it this way? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the very essence of understudies mm. undercuts the merit of of criticism True. for that reason, doesn't it? True. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, Macbeth <laughs> happened. Yeah, sure. sure. I was there. <laughs> um, they kind of went, and I didn't actually know going in that this is what they were going to do, but they sort of went with a, a 1920s theme. Oh. Uh, by which I mean it was set probably just post-World War One. Okay. I think. Yeah. Yes. And it took me a little bit of time to work that out because I'm <laughs> a little dense yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Oh, me too. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> I knew we were in a war. Sure. I knew there was overcoats involved. Okay. <laughs> but I just thought, you know, maybe they were just kind of bulky because, um, you know, because they were on the battlefield or something. But um, very much a, a 1920s battle? bulk <laughs> to, to, the, to the coats involved. Um, they Yeah. So um, they sort of open the show, uh, the actors coming out together in their bulky coats <laughs> okay kind of summoning up the show itself um, okay. yeah not dissimilar to Romeo and Juliet I guess the sure. DMC show that I talked about <laughs> moments ago, ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah um coming together and 
having a kind of a, a, a witchy because you know the show opens with the three witches yes um, but they kind of allowed that to include the other actors and their sense of coming together to bring about this tale Okay. Um, Were there witches also part of this? Yes. yes okay, cool. Yes. So it was witches and other cast members in coats. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, cool. And uh, we get a lot of imagery of war throughout the show. Mm-hmm. There's uh, a fair few movement sequences where people uh, fall over and over and over again, mm. um, which is quite quite powerful to watch. Um, just the the sense of the body collapsing right. <laughs> seeing bodies uh, fall to, uh, again and again and again and again mm. which i think you know is, is a very powerful and beautiful way to evoke war yeah particularly the first world war where there was so many casualties yeah so much senseless death which i think you really see mm. in that god and we spent and, so much time not seeing it like i was mm. like a couple of nights ago for some reason fell down this like hole of trying to find footage of like the russia ukraine conflict and just, like, the footage that exists of that on the internet of just, like, these little moments of people's lives ending Ugh. and explosions and, like, watching houses fall apart. And it's like, I don't know, we're certainly... It's so easy, I'd say, I know it's not the 20s now, but it's mm. so easy now, even with everything that we have access to, to completely remove oneself from ever having to, like, with any of our senses having to ingest much of what war is like. Mm. Um, even while being in the midst of one, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, true. Mm. Yeah, we don't really sort of have that imagery in our mind unless you sort of search for it i suppose yeah yeah certainly not like the like mm. the, the personal imagery like yeah. a, like of the individual humans at stake in those predicaments yeah 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 um so that kind of colored a lot of what the production was i think and it was mm-hmm. interesting like the I think f- they... what, like the war imagery did or like the physical toll of war or um, the both, whole thing both yeah. i think and the, the 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 1920s setting and i think the um, it was very difficult to forget that a war had just occurred mm. um, in the show. And I think you could really see that in uh, the performance of the lead actor, um, Hazem Shamas. Yeah. <laughs> Which I hope is the correct pronunciation. <laughs> I've actually met this man, but he just pre- he introduced himself as Hass, so I just feel like it didn't really help me. Unhelpful. Much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so his portrayal was very interesting and really highlighted i guess the, the the scars that macbeth has going into the play mm. like he is already in a state of confusion and pain from mm. having seen all the death that he's seen all all the war that he has participated in yeah which i think was a it was interesting to see that affect the way that um i just call him has because <laughs> it's easier <laughs> <laughs> that's how we introduced himself to true, you sure true. um uh how he he kind of embodied that and you could really see that physically there's a sort of sense of physical discomfort mm. in his macbeth a kind of a twitchy energy and like as if he's kind of still still his senses or his um his body is primed for fighting or primed for being attacked. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you sort of see that he's already not in a well place yeah. <laughs> from the start of the show, um, which was, yeah, an interesting choice on, on the part of that actor. And I thought like pretty legitimate and cool. Yeah. Um, is that a thing that you'd already like felt about Macbeth as a character with your familiarity with mm. it? Or is this, were you seeing things for the first time? Oh yeah. Interesting. Um, well, I think that, Generally speaking, the Macbeths that I have seen tend to f- focus on the descent into madness. 
Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, I guess he, maybe he, he begins, there's, there's always a sort of a, a weakness there on some level or there's a sensitivity there. Mm. Um, but seeing him, how he goes from what he is at the start to what he becomes at the end mm. is maybe more um, what I've observed before in portrayals. Yeah. So it was just, yeah, interesting to sort of take a different route with that. Right. Um, Which I'd say, even like, not to preempt anything you were about to say or anything, but even me hearing you describe that, it seems really, it sounds really intriguing to me for someone to go with something less familiar, like mm. that, that style of sort of, uh, what, like a crescendo into goofiness. Yeah. It's quite a familiar performative trope mm-hmm. and to choose mm-hmm. something else just for, not that he did, but for even for the sake of choosing something different yeah. is cool. And I think something that is appealing in terms of like the frequency with which we witness Shakespeare, yeah. it's like, why not just do something different for the sake of doing yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, no, I really appreciated it. And, um, right, cool. I appreciated his, his physical presence as well. Uh, there was some great sort of physical shapes that he made with his body that were quite exciting to me. I know that's a strange thing to no, say. No, that's but, great. But you know, it's also like, in, it wasn't my whole In a kind of a German design. expressionist oh. kind of sense occasionally where it, it felt like his body was being manipulated by the witches. Well, that's what I took from it in terms of how his, his movement um, being kind of atypical or, or expressionist almost. Like mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't naturalistic. In moments um, of, like, in moments of naturalism? Yeah, or in, like... in, well, in moments, um, in heightened moments. Right, cool, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you could, and in terms of, like, a trajectory of that, you could definitely see that getting more so as he hurtled towards the end of the play. Yeah. Um, God, like, because yeah. I'm not as close with Macbeth. So it's like, the witches tell him what's going to happen. They and do, they, yeah. and, but, but they're, in this, is it always, is it the case that they are causing things to happen? Or they're just aware of things? And in this version, it seems like maybe the witches are also a bit causing some stuff. Yeah, well, I think that it depends on the production. Cool. Like, okay. I, there's nothing in the script that necessarily says that they're making it happen. But by, by telling him, I guess they have sort of on some level controlled him. <laughs> right, okay. Um, yeah, and maybe, like, maybe it's more that they are... Their, their power over him comes from what they revealed to him or what they've decided to reveal to him. That he's kind of being manipulated by them... <laughs> oh, okay. through, through what he's kind of um, absorbed of their their prophecy. <laughs> oh, sure. So almost akin to maybe like an Oedipus Tiresias kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. You know, well, that's a question that I feel like um, high schools ask all the time. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, would he have done it anyway if the witches hadn't told him it was coming? Did they cause it? Or was it him? Is it his fault? Is it her fault? These are the questions that I have to talk about in schools all the time. Is that true? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry for being 17. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, like, because it is interesting. It's an interesting question. It's mm. a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think he did He did a great job with that. And, um, yeah, just very interesting to watch. A great stage presence, mm. physical presence that I found. Because have really you seen him perform in something before? Um, no, he was, oh, cool. he, so he, I don't know why we've talked about this a lot, but he was in that TV show that I had those two days on last oh, year. Oh, <laughs> um, And that's how I met him. He, he introduced himself and we had a bit of a chat over the course of the day. Okay. Um, and he was very nice. He was Great. lovely and extremely welcoming to someone like me who's so, such like a noob. <laughs> in comes to filming, I just really was extremely stressed. He really helped me by being quite calm and kind. Oh, that's so lovely. Cool. <laughs> so I'm a big fan. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, but also, you know, performatively, I think he, he's he's very strong. He's obviously a great actor. Mm. 
Um, and we have Jessica Tovey. How mm. much do you know about Jessica Tovey? I know the name and I don't know why. Mm. Yeah. Jessica Tovey was in Home and Away. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> Were you a Home and Away person? No, I was no, I was neither Home and Away nor Neighbours. Mm. I was more Neighbours than Home and Away, mm. but I wasn't very Neighbours, mm-hmm. honestly. Mm. What about you? Look, neither I was neither Neighbours nor Home and Away particularly, but yeah. I, if I had to pick, I was probably more Home and Away. Ah, oh, because of your beachy vibe. Because of the beach. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, well, I've only been like maybe for a year when I was about 13 or 14 or something. I had a brief period where I watched them both every night. Wow, okay. And they just began to feel like family? Like, yeah, how did that go? Didn't, like, it didn't last very long. I don't know why it mm. kind of happened. Was it um, so you could talk to your friends about it? Maybe, was the Steiner School really a buzz? Maybe it was. Maybe I was just kind of going through a bit of a period where I was a bit bored and I needed to invest in sort of a soap opera lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, no, I was more of an always greener guy. Oh, awesome. I loved always greener. Oh, my God, yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Michaela Bannis. Oh, Michaela Bannis. <laughs> oh, Scott Major. Oh, my God. Oh, of course, yeah? Scott Major. Yeah? You're such a Scott Major I'm girl. I'm such a Scott Major girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, a per- another person who I met and kind of lost it a little bit. You met Scott Major? I met Scott Major! Where? (laughs) I met him in a a bar like five years ago or something. Um, And I told him that I was a big fan of Always Greener and he was like, oh, that show. Oh, Scott, (laughs) you couldn't read and she taught you how to read. Oh God, Jake, I love that you remember that show. Of course! And Grand Bowler was in it, and he yes. accidentally ate a bee, and he died he because did. he ate the bee. Oh, he did! And then his son was conflicted. <gasps> yes. Oh, yeah, what a show. What a show. Yeah, but that kind of straddled the uh, soap opera kind of line, didn't it? Between being a bit of a soap opera, but also a bit of a sea change, which is Comple- my yes. number one of all-time course, greatest. Of course, <laughs> Um, but yes. Yes, so, um, who are we talking about? Jessica Tovey. Jessica Tovey. Was in Home and Away? She was in Home and Away. Recently? um, Or was she like a legacy? I think she's a a, a while ago. I feel like I remembered her being in Home and Away, so that would have been a long time ago. Okay. But I believe in recent years she's done a lot more theatre work, and I saw her in a production of The Merchant of Venice that Belle Shakespeare put on uh, a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, and here she's playing Lady Macbeth. (laughs) <laughs> very ably. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, she was wonderful. Uh, yeah. Very powerful, very commanding. Um, and had a real confidence about her. There wasn't yeah. a kind of a... Which is a, like a good, I think. It contrasted nicely with, with a sort of a slightly more sensitive Macbeth. Okay. Um, and they, you know, it's always interesting to see how they approach the relationship between the two of them, mm-hmm. given that they are arguably the most romantic couple in all of Shakespeare's Do people plays. make that argument? People do make that argument that they are the most in love. Oh. Uh, and that how the, the fascination that comes from watching that love turn to death. <laughs> God. And murder is, okay. is sort of one of the most appealing things about Macbeth. Um, and they really highlighted the sort of sexual connection between the two of them this time. It mm-hmm. was definitely like a a kind of a submissive, uh, I'm forgetting the word that's the opposite to submissive. Dominant? <laughs> dominant! Yeah. <laughs> a dominant submissive kind of chemistry between the two of them. That would flip-flop or she would always be the dominant one? Um, she would pretty consistently be the, be the dominant one. Okay. Um, what, is there a moment, so I'm just hung up on that little factoid you yeah. gave me. Is there a, like... A moment people point to where they're like, see, that's how in love they are? Or is it to do with how affectionate they seem and then that turning into bloodshed? 
that is like a ratio that not another like not a lot of other couples get to exemplify in Shakespeare. Why are they the most in love? Hmm. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. <laughs> um, I suppose maybe it's the way that they work together as a as a unit. Okay. They they kind of they undertake this endeavor together and the sort of language around how that happens mm. is quite em- emotive and powerful. And you could certainly, you know, but having said that, like a lot of people also take the route of, you know, she's completely bored of her husband and just wants the power. Mm, right. <laughs> so it really depends on how you read it. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a friend who, yeah, is just very um, committed to the idea that it's a love story um, between the two of them. And their shared grief over the death of their child is what has kind of bound them together in this way. They have this deep love connection. Um, and that as the, the sort of tragedy of the play is that they kind of end up going further and further away from each other in their own in their own pain and their own guilt. Right. Um, that it's you know, it's a tragic love affair. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, just sort of interesting to, to see that take on it, um, which is, again, perfectly legitimate. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a nice image that happened when they first see each other, or when he first comes back from war. Uh, he kind of like runs at her and curls up sort of almost in her lap like a little child, and she's kind of cradling him, yeah. um, which was very evocative and quite memorable, I mm. think. Yeah. Um, other performances of note, I mean, everyone did a great job, but I think the, I really liked, uh, the actor who played Duncan, whose name is James Lugton. Yeah, James cool. Lugton, who, um, did several different characters and he played Duncan, um, had a wonderful commanding energy as Duncan and also came out with a sort of broad, <laughs> um, portrayal of the porter. Are you familiar with the porter? No, I'm trying. I'm just, I'm going back to that performance of Macbeth that I saw you in, and I'm trying <laughs> to remember. No, I'm even struggling. Is Duncan like one of like the the war, the men that give instructions? Yeah, so Duncan's the king that, uh, okay. that Macbeth ends up killing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Macbeth kills Duncan, mm-hmm. and the porter is. The porter is not really relevant to the story. (laughs) The porter is the character that Shakespeare seemingly inserted right after the murder to really lift the mood and make sure nobody was too distressed. (laughs) That was a concern of Shakespeare slash Amelia Bassano? we can only guess what Amelia was trying to achieve. (laughs) But right after the murder, the the porter, this drunken servant, kind of like wakes up because there's a violent knocking at the door. Yeah. And um, gives this this monologue to the audience that's quite comedic and quite drunk, um, you know, about urine and about um, men being unable to get erections when they've had too much to drink. Uh-huh. Like it's, you know, he does a tight five on the yeah. <laughs> and being a servant and being drunk. Um, yeah, so that was great. He did a wonderful job with that. Do people often cut that out? Yes. They do. <laughs> oh, you bet. <laughs> okay. Indeed, but I am a staunch believer in the porter. <laughs> Why? Because you dream roll, Jake. Dream roll. <laughs> Someday, anyone listening? Uh... <laughs> She's a real porter type. If you if you get my drift. Typecast is the porter. Uh, that's my aim and goal. 
Yeah. Um, Julia Billington portrayed mm. Banquo. Okay. How do you feel about Banquo? Do you know this character? No. <laughs> no. I just... No. I, I assume... I don't know. I want it to be like a banquet in some sort of way. Well, indeed. You can't be serious. That's oh. one of the dumbest things I've ever said. So is... <laughs> <laughs> Amelia was having a, a rough day when she wrote this particular... Oh, Bassano, <laughs> you crazy but, uh... bitch. <laughs> Banquo appears in ghost form at the banquet. <laughs> oh, I remember this in your version of it. Yes. yes. Spooky yes. banquet. Spooky yes. banquet, spooky banquo. Yes, okay. Ghosty, ghosty banquo. Yes, and that's part of when people think, oh, Macbeth's gone crazy. Yes, yes, because he's seeing the ghost of his friend who he murdered. Or is he seeing the ghost? Is the ghost really there? Ah, we don't know. We don't. Again, answer these questions, you ten. So what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I do feel so stupid hearing these things. Like, I'm truly shocked at, like, twist in Macbeth. <laughs> it's a great story, Jake. It's a great play. <laughs> Don't be ashamed. Um, yeah. Okay. So Julia, uh, mm. playing Banquo, um, yeah. really fantastic energy and a kind of a, uh, a really took the character of Banquo, which can be quite forgettable. And often people play with a sort of a laissez-faire attitude. Like, like oh, I'm dead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really just couldn't care less. <laughs> um, no, but the, because the Banquo is contrasted with Macbeth because they both receive prophecies of what's to come. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Macbeth acts on it and Banquo doesn't. Um, okay. Which, you know, you could maybe... Um, read into it being that that's his character. He's less ambitious, he's less driven, he's less fiery. Mm. Um, but I think the betrayal that Julia Billington gave us was a bit more like, you know, Banquo could have almost gone down that route. There there was a kind of an untapped well of ambition inside of Banquo that, mm. that we kind of just sort of almost on the surface there. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. How do you like your mm. Banquos? <laughs> I like my Banquos. Yeah. <laughs> well done, baby. <laughs> Toasted on the outside. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Just bring a little bit more sexual energy to this particular podcast. Yeah, yeah, how people loved it last time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> um, no, how do I like my bankers? Yeah, but I guess that requires you to imagine yeah. your own production of Macbeth. I guess if it's a particular version of Banquo of particular interest to you. Like, is there something intriguing about Banquo? I like Banquo. I like my Banquo's quite canny. Um, okay. And clearly quite aware of what's occurred and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having the, the conflict between saying something or about, you know, about your friend having killed the king. Like, the, the, the feeling the tension. Because Banquo has so little time to get this across. Right, okay. <laughs> but if a Banquo can get across um, his intelligence and how aware he is of what has occurred... But also his love for Macbeth and those those things being kind of mixed up together and the the, the confusion therein. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's my serious answer. Yeah. <laughs> like my bank ones. That's a cool answer. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, oh, another wonderful thing that occurred in this show that must be mentioned is yes. that the final battle at the end when Macduff comes to take back Scotland... <laughs> Uh, for Malcolm is that Macbeth and Macduff have this fight where they're fighting with um, bayonets. Yeah. So like the, the pointy bits on the end of guns? Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. Um, with the gun as well? Yeah, well, I just thought it was quite clever because obviously, you know, guns are a bit difficult to pull off in a fight scene that goes for a while because mm. 
are you just kind of missing each other constantly? Yes, um, a lot of ricochet sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they kind of had a, a, a thing where they ran out of bullets and had to fight with their bayonets. That's really cool. Um, yeah, which I thought was very inventive and, and yeah. fun because I just... Oh, I honestly have not seen a lot of bayonet fights yeah. on a Melbourne stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, great night at the theatre, or How does a bayonet fight go in terms of, like, comparing it to, like, a sword fight? Um, sort of more awkward, I suppose. Mm. But, you know... Because you have to I hold love... the gun like well, a gun. Yeah, it's kind of... They were kind of, like, kind of using it like a... Um, um, like an kind of underarm swinging and, and, and sort of jabbing with it. Oh, sure, yeah. 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 Okay. Which, uh, yes, I like. Like stabbing like a rake that. into hay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that how I would call say it? Yeah, I guess it's like, a, like a pitchfork. A bit, right? of, bit of a pitchfork action. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. And there's something so brutal looking about a bayonet. Weirdly, mm. maybe maybe I'm desensitized to swords at this point. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, I felt I really felt the danger more. Right. Okay. <laughs> the the bayonet fight. Almost like it was in traverse. Almost as if it was in traverse. If only. If Jake. only. Oh my god. If only. Yeah. Um, but it was sort of interesting because I went to see the show, and um, pretty soon afterwards. Uh, I read a review of it that was pretty controversially taken by <laughs> the vast majority of people I spoke to about the show. Oh, sure. It seems like okay. it's kind of what people are, have talk about now in terms of this production of Macbeth. Well, they talk about this review. Yeah, this review from Mr. Cameron Woodhead. Oh, yes. How in his review he was quite harsh on the lead actor, so on the Macbeth of the piece. Yes. And, um, you know, whether he took it a step beyond what is expected of a reviewer and really, you know, almost bullied this person or, or singled them out in a way that was unnecessary hmm. or unneedful. And that Bell Shakespeare responded with a statement saying that they fully support their actor and that he did an amazing job and that what Cameron Woodhead wrote was beyond what was reasonable or what was okay to do mm. to someone. Right. Um, and I guess because I've been on this show a couple of times now and I've been thinking more and more about reviewing and about the um, the task of it or the job of it or what, what the purpose of it even is, I, um, I just, it just made me consider that even more and kind of realise that actually I honestly don't know what the what the job of a reviewer is and i thought you might have something to say on this because obviously this it's, it's almost like you've you've kind of encircled your life around this question now or <laughs> you've obviously got a take on it and it's mm. it's changed the way that i've approached watching theater sure so for the I, better i hope oh yeah for yeah. sure <laughs> i mean um i i definitely noticed maybe a couple of years ago that i started to approach watching any show that I saw with an attitude of trying to evaluate it. Yeah. Very much being like, how good was it? Yeah. Um, and coming to question whether that, how useful that is, or whether you can even make that call about something. Whether it literally is a question of did this person or did this show achieve what it wanted to achieve? And if so, then it was a success and everything else is just your own opinion. Mm. And how useful is that? And it's it's certainly exciting and interesting to discuss your own opinion with someone else who's experienced the same thing. Yeah. Um, but how does that change when you're putting it in 
in a newspaper for people to read. Hmm. <laughs> so my questions are this. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is the task of a professional reviewer historically? And what is it now? And is it the same as it has always been? Hmm. Um, is it... Is it to let people know what to expect in the show that they are going potentially to see? Um, Is it to advertise the show? Is it a risky way to potentially get something out there that tells everybody how good it is? Mm. So it's like, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's like an advertisement for the show. Um, Or is the reviewer an artist in themselves? Mm. And is what they're actually doing commenting on a piece of art in a way that needs to be read as its own piece of art. Mm. So does a reviewer have to be responsible to create a, something interesting in their review? Yeah. Um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, that's a bunch of really interesting questions. Mm. Yeah. Um, and is it... What, yeah, what... what, what what, what do we want from reviews now? And is it, is it important for a review to, to evaluate something? Maybe it is, but mm. I'm, just, I'm just not sure. Yeah. Um, God, no, that's all really, really fascinating. Um, I'd say, th- uh, to start from at the end of your list of questions, mm. I'd say that it's... Oh, there's so yeah. many there. <laughs> no, it's great. No, it's also fascinating. Um, yeah, I'd say that someone writing a theatre review is absolutely an artist in the sense that they've created something that required a level of sort of like internal reflection. Mm. I'd say that that exists for sure. And like you're engaging directly with art and so and art so organically produces more art as a result of its audience ex- like experience. So I'd say, sure. I'd say it's not very interesting art and certainly when you start it's talking kind about the parasitic, value... It's parasitic, isn't it? It's for like sure. it can only exist... From from another person's art. Yeah, and even describing it as parasitic is really really interesting in the way that you then begin to talk about things like the toxicity of this recent Cameron Woodhead review, which I think you would have to consider it to be. And it's like, the f- isn't there something to be said for like if you're going to make an argument that I think is a pretty weak old school one of theatre criticism, theater, like theatre criticism of that like species being necessary, which I certainly don't believe it to be. Mm. But, I don't know, the, the richness even in, like, you saw a show and it made you so riled up and critical and ready to say a bunch of really horrendous things about a very talented performer, whose talent is irrelevant when it comes to the sort of thing, like this type of behaviour, I'd say. But it's like, a piece of theatre got you so upset and weeded out that you then went home and wrote this article for, a, like, a newspaper? It's like, for art to even have that impression on you, regardless of what your job was. Like, it succeeded in doing something. Mm. Like, it made you re- reflect on this really old text written, up, like, debatably by Amelia Bassano, <laughs> and it made you think about what is supposed to happen with the, the journey of Macbeth. Like, I think getting you to that point is impressive in itself. I don't mm. know. I just... Yeah, I... Yeah, so often, and like, I don't know, find myself pontificating about the way that especially contemporary theatrical criticism just eventuates in hurting a lot of people. I'd say when it gets down to talking about trying to advertise shows that happen at the Regent or the Princess, it's like those, like when you, every show you see at these places is going to have a bunch of banners up saying like, amazing from the Daily Telegraph. And like, Mm. and then so many of them are just puns. They're just puns based on like, Cats is always going to be utter perfection. from the age that's just always going to happen and when you get to that level of things like first off no one's going to read those reviews in order to determine whether or not they're going to go to them that's already very much sort of been decided for them Mm -hmm. and then yeah but then once you start climbing down from that perch of like these 
I don't know, loudly applauded high-scale productions. You get down to things like the higher end of, like, you get to the La Mamas, and then you get below that into, like, you know, the dregs of independent theatre. Mm. Um, and, and schools putting out productions of things. And it's like, that's when the conversation should become even more interesting, because, like, you're not getting just, like... The, the, the big budget things that have to be crowd pleasers by virtue of having to be able to pay for themselves, you know? Like, you get down to, as we both well know, it's like you get down to, like, the, the, the you know, the much more interesting, dirty, grimy end of people <laughs> barely breaking even when they're putting these shows on. Yeah. And, and as you talk so wonderfully and lovingly about for Romeo and Juliet, it's like these shows matter a lot to people. And that we should be so, so grateful for that and endorsing of that and fanning those flames as best we can as a community. Mm. And for people to come into this community... And and to be saying these horrendous things could be that could be the reason that people never want to make work again. Like everyone has, anyone that's been in, especially like the independent theatre scene for longer than like a year, has some terrible trauma story of getting some review that decimated them. You know, mm -hmm. and it's and that I think is just unforgivable. And to willingly be a person that is going to hurt people in that way, I just think is pretty horrendous. Yeah. And it's not a thing that people wanting to engage with, like, you know, contributing to the theatrical community should have to take as, like, a given. Like, we shouldn't be putting art on with, like, this somehow embraced understanding that we may get decimated in the media. Yeah, because we do, don't we? There's yeah. always that fear. And I don't know whether we feel like we need that fear to exist to actually make good work. Sure. <laughs> but somehow... do you think theatre criticism makes better work? Or it just I makes... don't know. I don't, maybe it just makes more frightened artists, maybe. I'd say it absolutely makes frightened artists, and mm. it makes more work that is just like other work that's been clapped before. And I mm. think that kills experimentation and therefore slows us down in terms of, like, evolving yeah. and becoming more interesting. Because yeah. interesting rarely gets celebrated unless it's also, at the same time, familiar and recognisable. And also, it, it doesn't hurt if you're also, like, some level of, like, I don't know, conspicuous intellectualism. Like, if you're something <laughs> that someone... Like a, like a newspaper reviewer can, I don't know, <laughs> kind of, like, insinuate that they're smart enough to comprehend it. Yeah. Like, that's always going to help as well. Well, like, with... I mean, so with Cameron Woodhead, for example, does he... Is it... Is he in, in a situation where he needs to produce? <laughs> like, needs to produce something interesting and sharp and witty because he's created this brand now. Mm. Um, you know, is he beholden to his audience to create what is expected of him? I suppose so, mm. yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I guess you know? he's like... He's I think a... reading the review that he wrote, it was, it was harsh. And I think if I'd read that about something that I'd done, if that was, if he was talking to me, I would feel pretty devastated and pretty yeah. upset. But I don't know that I could say it was necessarily personal, because I think it was pretty focused on the performance itself. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the only, the thing that he didn't do, I guess, is acknowledge that the, the take on Macbeth itself seemed to be something that he didn't jive with, mm. um, which is also a direction thing. Like, um, the director obviously wanted this take on Macbeth, so mm. you know why why kind of zero in on this actor? Sure, and his an actor who was also presumably potentially like cast mm. somewhat because of their capacity to deliver this performance. Yeah. All this performance came because yeah. I think in the response that Bell Shakespeare wrote was that the actor's connection with the role was part of the reason that he wanted to perform it as well. Mm -hmm, yeah, and I think that's such a beautiful thing. Mm. And I think it's also and that and <laughs> to criticize that compulsion inside of a performer. I think is such a dark thing to willingly attack because mm. you will be doing that unwittingly regardless of who you're like oh my god to, to the idea of anyone like if these kids in Romeo and Juliet grow up and one of them is like 
I don't know, I, I want to do this role because it means something to me. And then anyone swings in and puts on the internet the idea that this person's take on this role that they cared so much about is a piece of shit. Mm. It's like they have no comprehension of what that means to this person. And if that role didn't mean anything to that person, then they wouldn't have been generous or brave enough to step forward and actually perform that way. Mm. You know, and everyone in that audience that saw that performance is of any of these shows, these hypothetical ones or this real one, is so fortunate to have gotten to experience something that truly mattered to somebody. Mm. And then anyone being comfortable with coming in and making someone less likely to do that in the future, I think is horrifying. Yeah, it does, it's worrying that you feel like it's encouraging people to take less less, less risks. Yeah. <laughs> and that, like, having seen the performance that he was talking about, I think that um, Hazem Shamas was actually... He was taking risks in what he presented, and yeah. I really applauded him for that. That's beautiful. Um... But I suppose, I don't know, like, you know, is that, is that just not interesting enough to say to, for an audience that is coming to a, a theatrical review to be entertained, which is, I assume, what they are coming... Like, other than the people in the show who want to know what they thought of the show, mm. like, surely you want to read a review or you, the people who are reading the reviews want, want something from it mm. as in itself yeah. rather than just to know whether the show was good or not because you can't. Mm. You can't know whether a show is good or not from reading someone else's opinion of it. No. You know, maybe yeah. you can get a vague sense of whether you might enjoy it, whether your tastes are similar. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, totally. That's the thing. And you're correct, I believe, yeah, that you, you are getting a, like a, you know, an accurate assessment of that reviewer's opinion about yeah. things. But I don't find that to be very interesting. And when you talk about the idea of Cameron Woodhead having like a follower base of people that want to know his opinions, yeah. I'd say given like the nature of what his reviews can often be, it's like I think some of those people that his base is comprised of might just be like bloodthirsty people that enjoy seeing other artists torn down. Yeah. You know, which I think as well, like in this industry, is an insidious component of people's participation in it. Like I think there is a part of the competitive nature that kind of is always going to exist in the theatrical world and the independent theatrical world where kind of there is this sense of like if you get an opportunity I don't get it if you fail yes. I have a better chance of yes. succeeding and that somehow by kind of supporting everyone regardless of, of whether they are presenting um, in, the, in the way that you deem to be a good mm. <laughs> like trying to support everybody in this situation does that mean that we're somehow making it less of a legitimate thing to be doing. Like, that, mm. that good art is just the same as bad art or whatever. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Like, I guess yeah. what I'm saying is, does, does does someone need to to separate the good from the bad for there to be uh, some excellence to strive for? Oh, my God. And this comes back to your really interesting question about, like, the history of theatre reviewing in the mm. first place. And I feel like so much of it, like, based on, like, the reading and the things that I've heard about this whole fiasco is, like, this like long pervading idea that there is high art and low art, yeah. you know, and if there's no one to police the difference between the two of them, then it's going to be chaos. It's like <laughs> first off, the chaos doesn't exist, and also what risks even exist in that world? Mm. And I don't know, is it just like a kind of a relic of classism? Yeah, and maybe. is it the reason that people go to the opera but not to La Mama? You know, like is that? Or it's like a you know a, a sort of a deep strain of, of feeling bad about what we do. <laughs> it's like a, a a sort of a sense of self. Um, flagellation flagellation maybe uh, sacrifice yeah or feeling insignificant that somehow what we're doing in the arts is 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 not legitimate unless there is an excellence to strive for oh 100% like, like if there isn't someone there with a big stamp ready yeah. to give it to you if you earn it yeah, yeah that sort of validation of course feels good mm. but I think it's one that we've been taught to crave well yeah and it's probably quite harmful yeah 
It's, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It, uh, yeah, because I, I just don't think it makes anyone better. And when I say better, I guess it's, in my mind, a synonym for interesting. Yeah. Because I think all this conversation around things being good or bad is just limiting in the way that it, like, it also assumes that there's some sort of, like, I don't know, higher rubric for approval. You know, like, there's some understanding. And again, it comes back to this, like, you know, long-head conversation of, like, awards and acclaim mm. and this sense of, like, good being something recognisable or anything that's good will be just like all these other things that were also good. Like, it's the reason that you can, you can like, identify Oscar-bait movies because it's like, oh, it's this thing that we keep celebrating. It yeah. must be good. Yeah. Yeah. And good, yeah, has, has been stripped of anything in terms of, like, whether or not that the merit of it is, is something creative or intelligent or mm. furthers anything or mm-hmm. invokes some sort of crucial or uncrucial conversation it's just like oh this again yeah 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 well i I just i don't know i'm feeling confused about the whole thing yeah (laughs) well whether i mean i guess when i've read reviews in the past of shows that i've been in and i do tend to read them not all actors do Mm. some of them are a little healthier than i am and they decide (laughs) to avoid putting their brains through that but i think i just i'm fascinated i'm always interested to hear people's thoughts and takes on what I've presented to them. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess that's part of the reviewing process that I, I guess I find it quite satisfying to engage in. Mm. Um, it obviously doesn't feel good when something is 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 particularly spearing you. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, it's like, can, can, the, can reviewing exist? And I guess maybe you're answering that question with this podcast. <laughs> can reviewing exist in a way where you're presenting what you got from an experience and from what was presented to you without uh, really giving, giving it a, a rating? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and is that, is that interesting enough to hold the attention of, of the public who come to a review for something? Mm. Yeah. 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 No, that's a really great question. Yeah. No, and it comes back to a few things that you've said, especially when talking about Romeo and Juliet. It's mm-hmm. like, it's so, as I've certainly found, it's so much more like freeing and soothing and rewarding to go into a piece of theatre or any art, but let's talk about theatre mm-hmm. and just like sit there and just kind of be open to the thing that's about to happen and not be, yeah, wanting it, like wanting it to be good or bad or mm-hmm. waiting to work out if it's good or bad and then clapping appropriately. You know, like just to be open to the fact that these people having come together to tell a story and now that story's about to get told. Yeah. And now you get to witness it with the group of people you're seeing it with. And, and you then might go not away. like it. You might not like it. You might but, have a shitty but at time. least then you're not going to not like it because it doesn't look like good theatre. Mm. Like as you were talking about with Romeo and Juliet, it's like part of what was remarkable about it is that it, it like succeeded in ways that you don't often get to see theatre succeed. Mm-hmm. If you come in with the wrong rubric, it could be like, well, there weren't any A-list celebrities in it, yeah. so it wasn't good, or it can't have been good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. I'd be all for like theatre critics and theatre reviewers being online and in newspapers being like, this piece of work stimulated me in these ways and made me think about this, and this idea was explored in a way that I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think, is just fantastic because mm-hmm. it also too is like if, if that were the way we talked about theatre in this country, then people would be trying to produce work that would generate interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, or they wouldn't, you know, they would think <laughs> that that's a waste of time, and that could be, yeah, I don't know. But it's yeah, people trying to pursue the approval of people whose ideas are kind of like just stodgy and old school and very binary and. I don't know. And especially if they're going to express those like old limiting opinions through hurting people, I just think is kind of inexcusable. Mm. So that's why it was like really amazing when, because you're the one who told me that Bell Shakespeare published a response yeah, to his yeah. review. Yeah, I was very fascinated by the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, 
I was in a strange place of being uncertain, sort of almost feeling like I was on Cameron's side in a way, given that what trying to identify what his job is yeah, <laughs> and right. whether he did his job sufficiently and whether the actual question of his job, like is his job itself kind of fucked? Right. <laughs> and that's the problem yeah. rather than like is the state of reviewing mm. uh, innately toxic. Yeah, right. Um, right, and has he been give, like has his job become something that requires him to act this way mm. just by virtue of him being like a cog in a larger capitalist yeah. machine? And my first sort of response to the to the Bell Shakespeare statement, which was kind of like, yeah, but like we all get bad reviews. Right, <laughs> some sure. of them are awful. Some of them, are, and and we've just come to kind of accept that. Mm, yeah. Um, that whether we should or not, maybe maybe. We shouldn't have accepted that in the first place. <laughs> no, completely. No, I, yeah. And that's certainly where I think I, yeah, mm. yeah pitch my tent, I suppose. Yeah. Because, yeah, even in the earliest days of, like, doing student theatre and, like, doing my Bachelor of Performing yeah. Arts, it was just this understood thing that you get bad reviews sometimes and you certainly don't say anything about them mm. and you definitely don't try to engage with anyone that said the terrible things about you. Mm. Whereas mm. in any other world... You would like, if I talk shit about you on the yeah, internet. Yeah, we at least address it together. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah for some so reason, yeah, this, this like genre of bullying is protected under mm. some non-existent mm-hmm. law. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I don't really have any answers, but it's just interesting. Mm, I agree. <laughs> to, yeah. To contemplate. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with a friend recently and he was, he was talking about people who stand up, give standing ovations. Mm. Uh, and the opinion being that we shouldn't be doing that or that we should be doing it for every show that happens. <laughs> Why shouldn't we be doing it? Because you're giving an, an evaluation. like an, It's not an acknowledgement anymore, which is what clapping and applause is. Uh-huh. It's, um, you know, was the show good enough to deserve my me standing up in my applause? Like right. it's, and, and then we have the situation where actors on stage are going, oh, two people stood up to two people. <laughs> they really, really thought it was incredible and amazing. Mm. Um, but everybody else has made the decision to stay seated. Oh, I guess they didn't <laughs> think it was that good. Right. Like it, it is kind of, <laughs> it, it is a form of evaluation that you're hmm. showing yeah. with your body. Um, and whether that's, good or not or useful and whether the the task of trying to put a show on is hard enough that you should acknowledge everything that went to make this moment possible by standing up every time a show yeah, right. happens. It's that gargantuan, <laughs> even if it was atrocious, we should be standing up because shows are hard. Yeah. 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 No, I, I get that mindset. That's an interesting thought. I see, yeah, that is interesting. I suppose I've at least, I don't know, I think forever, but I guess whatever, recent history, I've thought of like standing ovations as being kind of like an act of, and I suppose it connects somewhat to kind of some revelations I had while watching and uh, watching Bernard Hamlet at the MTC mm-hmm. and having to like think hard about the way that people laugh at Shakespeare garbage because they want everyone else in the audience to think they're smart enough to understand the jokes. <laughs> and then just so, sort of mentally going into the idea of like the different ways that audiences show their engagement with the people on stage mm. and how, at least in my mind, audiences are always, uh, performers are always grateful for knowing that the audience is with them. Yeah. And I suppose in my mind, standing ovations are more of an emotional reaction to something. At least to me, I think for for your desire to applaud something to be to escalate inside of you from sitting and clapping through to like, no, I want to show you my body and see, I want you to see the person that was changed by what you did. Yeah. It's yeah. how it, I guess, lives for me. But yeah, that takes yeah, right. too. Yeah, so it's not, it's not as cerebral. It's more just instinctive. I it's th- like, yeah. I want to give you something back because of what you've given me. A little, yeah. And what you've given me is beyond what I was expecting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Oh, well, that's kind of Yeah, and I, I need to use more than my hands to show yeah. you this. But yes. I think it's yeah. how it works for me, but that, that take mm. also makes lots of sense to me. Yeah. But in terms of just, like, because I feel like maybe... I Look, I, I'm obviously muddled about it. Mm. I think the, the response from Belle sat a bit weird with me. Mm. The review itself sat a bit weird with me. I felt really bad for this person who would clearly have a res- an emotional response that's quite negative from reading that, mm. you know, given that... And, but, like, anyone who read that would have that. Um, but also, some people are surprisingly resilient, mm. you know? Well, know. that's true. That's true. And maybe some people... Occasionally, I get a response from someone, and it's it's it spurs me on to kind of think about what they've said and be like, is is what I'm doing? If that is if what I'm doing is is reading as that, then maybe I'm not quite achieving what I'm trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, which again is sort of useful. Like reviews can be useful as well. So sure. Hmm. Sure, I'd say, but I'd say maybe joke. like in that sense, maybe not more useful than just having a couple of people whose opinions you trust mm. watching a late rehearsal and then telling you what's working and what yeah, isn't. Yeah, because it's not really for me, is it? It's for the public. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, and it's like, and who in the public benefits one man tearing apart another? Hmm. And, and, and potentially the answer is just people that want to read that sort of thing on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if we need to be feeding those people. <laughs> <laughs> With a nice banquo. Yeah, with a nice <laughs> banquo. Toasty, toasty banquo. Sexy, toasty banquo. <laughs> oh, Mika, thank you again for such a, like a wonderful, like long, stimulating conversation about about great theatre. Oh, you're most welcome. I enjoyed talking to you as I always do, <laughs> uh, That's and nice. really kind of delving into all this Shakespeare nonsense that yeah. I, is so much a part of my life. God, yeah, no, and I'm so grateful that yeah, you were the one to get to sit here and talk to me about all this stuff. God. Um, and I've also really enjoyed seeing your face at the front of the Athenaeum oh so God. often. Because the Crucible is coming <laughs> and you're on the poster. It is coming. <laughs> Are we ready? <laughs> I doubt it. Oh, my God. God. Have they answered any of the questions that you brought up the last time we spoke in terms of, like, the context or, like, the costumes? <laughs> is there anything you can tell us? Oh, I can't <laughs> reveal anything. No? Uh, I... I, it's so hard to tell. It's very early stages, uh, even though it's like three weeks away. Mm. <laughs> it just feels like it's early stages still. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely happening. There's definitely a poster of me with a little cross moustache on my chin. Yeah. <laughs> on my, my, my lip. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, come along. Uh, particularly if you're a school, because there's a lot of matinees and we'd love to fill them. Great. Okay, cool. <laughs> to all the schools listening, go to see The Crucible at the Athenaeum. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Okay, well, yeah, as usual, um, we may already disagree with everything we just said. Um, and friends, don't let friends become theatre critics yeah. for reasons we just talked about. 